Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. It's so wonderful to see everybody today. Um, you know, I before I uh, really get into um, what I felt the Lord speaking to me, you can be seated for a minute. Um, is it okay if I just encourage you a little bit? There's a scripture. Um, I didn't give this to the media team or anything, but I want to I want to just direct your attention to two two verses in the Bible. Okay, first one is Revelation 19 and 10. And it says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I heard this from a minister just yesterday. I was in my Purpose Institute class. Um, and what he was saying is that and he made this statement and he said, I'm going to just say this and most of you probably won't agree with me at first, but let me explain. And he said, everyone has the ability to prophesy. Everybody can prophesy, okay? And when we think about that, we think about, well, there's the gift of prophecy and we have preachers and teachers that prophesy and stuff like that. But what this scripture is saying is that when you deliver a testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, you're speaking prophetically into someone else's life because Jesus can do the same in my life that he can in yours. And Moses in Numbers came off the mount, or not off the mount, but he was, he was uh, speaking with God in the tabernacle and he came out and somebody came up to him and was like, hey, your job is getting taken away because all these guys are prophesying. And Moses looks at him and says, are you jealous because of me? I'm not worried about my job because I'm like this with God. And he said, I wish that all the people of God would prophesy and that the Lord's spirit would be in them all. So when we're living in the New Testament, I want to tell you a testimony real quick. I was talking to pastor last week just about some things that God has been doing in, in my life and in Tasha's life. And I can't stand up here and say that it's anything that we've done on our own power, but that it's the hand of God in our life. When Tasha made the decision that she wanted to go back to school and then we found out that she was pregnant with our little, with our little girl, we sat down and had a really difficult conversation. And I looked at her and we were doing, we were trying to put our budget together and all that stuff. And I looked at her and I said, there is no way that this is gonna work. There's no possible way that, that what I make on my own can support us and support hospital bills and you know whatever. But I'm here today to tell you that God has never left us nor forsaken us. God has always provided to this moment. The, the money should have been gone. It's not about the money, right? But, but we need it to live and we need it to pay bills. It should have been gone a long time ago. But God has always provided for us and has always made a way when there was no way because we still serve the way maker. When it looks like everything is against you, when it looks like your own logical mind says, this isn't gonna work, God will make it work in your life. 
And I'm gonna make a really bold statement right now. This is a word of prophecy in your life because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If God can do it in our life, God can do it in yours. God can do it in your life. So that being said, I want to get into what I really felt the Lord dealing with me about this week. I want to um, direct your attention to Daniel chapter one, verses one through seven, and you can stand if you would like. Daniel is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is so full of amazing stories of men of God that have stood for what they believed in. And it's full of stories of how God has honored man's faithfulness. And it's uh, full of stories of even even the end times. Daniel uh, delivers a prophecy of the end times. But what I wanna focus on is the first couple chapters of Daniel. Daniel chapter one, verses one through seven. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, when he carried, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, of Nebuchadnezzar's God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake to Ahat, Ashpenaz, I don't know if I said that right. You need the Holy Ghost to pronounce those words. The master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's place and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. That's where I wanna stop real quick. And uh, what I really felt very strongly this week, I'm telling you, God has never talked to me like he has this week. And I don't say that to like prepare you for some riveting message or, or to try and uh, get you all pumped up before the word goes forth. But I say that because this message I feel is a message for the church today. What I wanna talk to you today about is identity crisis. If we could all bow our heads as you're seated, let's all just pray before we get into the word. Thank you, Lord, so much for this day. Thank you for your presence that we can feel on a daily basis. God, thank you for the access that you've given us to your throne room. Lord, I just pray right now that your word would go forth, that I would step to the background and let my words, or let your words be the words that the people hear today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can all be seated. I'm gonna take a drink because uh, when you start talking for a long period of time, you feel like a dried out prune. So, identity crisis. 
So these, uh, this was a period in time where uh, it's right around 605 BC. So it's a long time ago. Um, king Jehoiakim of Judah became a servant king to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And Jehoiakim was expected to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. That's what was going on right now, okay? Um, so you fast forward three years. So 602 BC is when, uh, right around 602 BC, it's so hard to be 100% sure, but right around 602 BC is where this story takes place. Jehoiakim had decided that he didn't want to pay tribute anymore to Nebuchadnezzar, so he stopped. Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that too much, and the Bible says that he sieged uh, the city of Jerusalem, basically just surrounding it and cutting off their food supply, cutting off their trade supply, going to just starve them out until they were, till they were, there was nothing left. Um, and during this process of sieging this city, Nebuchadnezzar was victorious. The Bible says that God handed Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar because they, they, they weren't doing right in the first place. So um, all of this stuff is going on. And as a prize, Nebuchadnezzar took vessels from the house of God. He took sacred items, but he also took royalty from the house of Israel. He took uh, the, what, what the Bible is saying when Nebuchadnezzar says, go and take of the princes and of the, the royalty, the nobles. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah, they were noble people in Israel. They were, they, were, uh, they were nobility, they were wealthy, they came from wealthy families. But as a prize, Nebuchadnezzar took them as well as the sacred items in the temple. D Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the notable cap captives during this time. I wanted to just kind of highlight, um, you know me, like if you've, if, you, if you've talked to me or you know, you've heard me minister or whatever, you know that my brain is really analytical, right? Like even when I'm playing the drums, I'm thinking like a couple measures ahead, like what, what, am I, what drum feel am I gonna do? You know, what am I gonna do? So I, I'm really analytical and I wanted to show you what their names meant, because this is really cool. The name Daniel, all of these say Yah instead of Yahweh, okay? So if you hear Yah, it just means it's short for Yahweh. So Daniel means Yah is my judge, or God is my judge, Yahweh is my judge. Hananiah, Yah is gracious. Mishael, who is as God is. And Azariah is Yah has helped. That's what their names mean. Their names uh, were connected to their faith in God. Their names were part of their identity. Their, their names showed what God has done in their life. Their names showed how they revered God. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to Belteshazzar. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's how I'm going to say it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, when you look at what their names mean, it's pretty interesting. Belteshazzar means Bel, which is a god in Babylon, or uh, it's even a title used for the Babylonian king. Bel protects his life. Shadrach, in the command of Aku, which is a moon god that they served. Meshach, who is as Aku is. Abednego, slave of Nebu, which was another god of wisdom and literacy. Important note, Nebuchadnezzar took out Yahweh from their name. 
why did Nebuchadnezzar change their name? Does anybody know? What's that? Change their identity. Did you know that that, um, that is a practice that has always happened in slavery? It still happens when you talk about, uh, uh, you know, child trafficking, child soldiers, all these, because slavery still happens today, believe it or not. I know we're pretty sheltered in the United States, but slavery still happens. And it's still such a terrible thing. But they still do this in slavery. They change the names of people in order to change their identity, in order to tell them, hey, you're not who you were. I own you now. When slaves would come over to America from Africa, people that were, that were shipping the slaves would change their names completely. And it was, it, was a, a, it was a way of forced assimilation into society. It was a way of, of forcing someone to become something that they weren't, weren't necessarily born to be. It was, it, was a, it was a way of proclaiming ownership on somebody. Because when we have kids, right, we give them a name. And it's, in a way, I mean, it's not necessarily like in ownership, but think about that responsibility. We, we have brought something into the world. Like I think of Lake and our daughter, right? Like, like she's come into the world and it was our responsibility to name her. So that's what was happening here is he's like, I brought you here. Now you're mine. These are your new names. I want to highlight two stories from the book of Daniel. And I'm not going to read them because there's just, I, just to tell you, I got a lot of material here. I normally come up here with like six pages of notes. I got 10 today. So don't worry. I'm going to fly through them. I promise. I promise. But I want to highlight two stories. First is in Daniel chapter one. How many of you have read the book of Daniel? The whole book, beginning to end. Okay. These two stories will probably be very familiar. Even if you haven't read the book of Daniel, I'm sure you've heard it at some point. So the first one is Daniel chapter one, right after the captivity, right after their names change, um, Nebuchadnezzar was searching for people who he could assimilate into Babylonian culture. That's what he was saying in verses four through six when he's saying, find some people that are good in, in uh, science and they're smart and whatever, so we can teach them our language, so we can teach them our ways. He was looking to uh, force assimil assimilation into the children of Israel. And believe it or not, that is a very effective way to lose your identity, is to assimilate into a culture or to a people or a religion that you didn't associate with in the beginning. They tried to do that in the children of Israel all throughout time. They tried to scatter them all over the place and tried to destroy their identity. So Nebuchadnezzar chooses out these guys. Or actually, he charges his eunuch to choose them. And he finds these guys and, and you know, says they're, they're good. They're, they meet the criteria. We're going we're gonna to educate these guys. Part of their benefits package was that they were going to get some food from the king's table. They were going to get wine that the king drank. They were, they were going to be taken care of. To most people, that sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? I mean, in a, in a, 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 a culture where... Um, you know, you had the, the elite and then you had everybody else and there was such a disparity between it, right? Um, that sounded like a pretty good deal. I'm gonna get some good food now. I'm gonna eat what the rich people eat. Um, but there was something that, that stirred up in Daniel's heart. I believe it's Daniel chapter eight. Could y'all put that up there? Or not chapter eight, chapter one, verse eight. 
I think that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Something stirred up in Daniel's heart that said, this isn't right. And then verse eight says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You guys know that the children of Israel had a law that they had to follow that God gave Moses, right? Brought forth, had all of these rules and regulations that they had to follow. Part of it was what they ate. They couldn't eat specific animals. They couldn't eat anything that creeped on the ground. So, sorry, I know how delicious it is, but you can't eat lizards, can't eat crocodiles, can't eat snakes, like that kind of thing. They weren't allowed to eat that stuff. They also weren't allowed, was it split hoof that they couldn't eat? Is that right? Things with a split, split hoof? Okay. So, that ruled out like pigs and, you know, uh, yeah, no bacon, no bacon in the Old Testament. <laughs> no bacon in the Old Testament. I imagine that's probably what King Nebuchadnezzar ate, right? Like just stacks of bacon. <laughs> but Daniel realized, he's like, hey, this isn't right. This goes against the law of God. I'm not going to defile myself. So I love that phrase, Daniel purposed in his heart. He made up his mind that no matter what everybody else does, I don't care if this is, uh, if this is normal. I don't care. I know what God says, and I'm going to follow that. That's what it means when it says he purposed in his heart. He made up his mind. He drew a line in the sand and said, this is what God said I'm going to do. I'm not going to cross that line. So he goes to the prince of the eunuchs, which I, I believe is the same guy. It's a, how do you say his name? It starts with an A. Up, up, pop. Ashpenaz or something like that. Um, I believe it's the same guy, but um, the, uh, Daniel goes to him and is like, hey, I can't do this. I can't, I can't eat what they're expecting me to eat. I can't drink what, with what Nebuchadnezzar is expecting me to drink. So if you go down, I'm not going to read all the verses, but if you go down, um, he starts to talk to the eunuch and he's like, hey, just give us, give us pulse, or, which I guess is just veggies. All the vegans in the room are like, whoop. Veggies and water, that's all they were allowed to eat, okay? So um, they go to the, the prince of the eunuch and they say, hey, just give us, give us veggies and give us water. And the, the eunuch is like, I don't think I can do that. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to be too happy about that because he told me what you're supposed to eat. I can't give you whatever. He reluctantly agrees and is like, okay, we'll do this thing where I'll give you veggies and water for 10 days. And then we'll come back and see if you're as healthy as everybody else. So they eat veggies and water for 10 days. How many of you have done that before? Just veggies and water. Oh, yeah. Daniel's fast. That's where we get the Daniel's fast from. Veggies and water. So um, they meet after 10 days. And the Bible says that they were healthier than everybody else. They were fatter of flesh. Can you imagine that? Gaining weight from eating veggies? I'd be in trouble. But they were, they, were, they were healthier. They looked better than all the other people in their class, which is amazing because you think, hey, I'm going on a diet. I'm just going to eat veggies and water and I'll lose a bunch of weight. Well, this worked the opposite because God honors faithfulness. That's what was happening. They said, no, we can't eat this stuff because it goes against the word of God. So give us uh, veggies and water and, and we'll be better. And they trusted God and God honored their faithfulness to his law. God said, okay, because you're willing to 
to, to follow me, even in the midst of a people who did not even know or care who Yahweh was, God still honored that. The second story I want to talk about is the golden image, which is in Daniel chapter 3. This one is probably where most of us, when we hear the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is the story we think about. So Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden idol and says, okay, everybody, he invites all of the leaders to come and see it. And he says, when the music plays, everybody in the nation of Babylon has to bow down to this golden idol. That golden idol was huge. Uh, you know, the Bible gives the cubits or whatever. I looked that up and it was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. Solid gold. But he says, everybody has to bow. And, uh, you know, the music plays, everybody bows and all the snitches in Babylon go over to Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, those Hebrew guys, they're, they're not bowing when the music plays. Right, snitches get stitches because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So, they, yeah, they, they snitch on him. They tattle on all the Hebrews. Say, they're not bowing to the music. They come to Nebuchadnezzar, and I think this exchange is so funny. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, guys, I really like you. I really, really like you, and I don't want to have to kill you. Because the decree said, if you don't bow, you're going in the furnace. That was, that was it. But Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, guys, I really like you. You guys are smart. You guys are, are wonderful. And then, uh, you know, he says, I, I will give you one more chance. I, when, the music when the music plays, please just bow down. I'll give you another chance. I won't throw you in the furnace right now, but you need to bow when the music plays because if you don't, I will have to kill you. That's, in essence, Reese Morgan's interpretation of what Nebuchadnezzar was saying. So, wow, I'm way ahead of myself. See, I told you we were going to get through this fast. So, um, the, I, I want to read to you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to this. I think it's hilarious. I'm going to read it in the King James because that's what I read. Um, it's Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. Do you know what they were really saying? They're saying like, hey, we don't have to think about what we're going to say because we already know the answer. We're not worried about what you think, but we're going to tell you our answer anyways. That's what they were saying. If it be so, our God, whom, is, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They, uh, they made a really bold statement. They said, we're going to believe in God. We know he can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not serving your gods. Even if he does, do we have that same kind of faith? That's the question I asked myself when I read that scripture. Do I have that same kind of faith to be able to stand in front of somebody if my life was ever in jeopardy because of what I believe? And I say, you know what? I'm going to serve God and he can save me from whatever you're going to do. But even if he doesn't save me, I'm still not turning my back on him. That, right, that is strong faith. That is 
true faith, when you can stand in the face of an adversary and say, doesn't matter what you say, I'm serving God. So music played, they didn't bow. Nebuchadnezzar gets his mighty men, the people like that were elite in his army. And he's like, go ahead and make the, make the furnace seven times hotter than it normally is. And they bound up the, the Hebrew children. Uh, we always say Hebrew children, but they were actually young men. The Hebrew men and took them. And uh, as they're walking up the stairs, or as they're walking towards the furnace, the Bible says that the mighty men fell down and died because it was so hot. And then they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. I think this is such an amazing, amazing portion of scripture because what is so cool about them going in the furnace is that the only thing that burned in the furnace was their bindings. I just, that, that's so amazing to me because what it tells me is that when I'm walking through the fire in my life, when, when I'm going through a trial or, you know, when I'm going through the fire, the only thing that's going to be burnt, as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus, are the things that are going to hold me back from the work, from what God has told me to do. They're in the furnace. They should be dead. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and Daniel records that he saw four men in the furnace, not three, but four. And Nebuchadnezzar even said, it looks like the son of God. God is always with you. Even when you're in the most horrible portion of your life, even when you are in the fire and you feel like you're in the furnace, God is right there with you. One of my favorite pieces of poetry is Footsteps in the Sand, if any of you have ever read it. It's, uh, it talks about somebody who's walking on the beach with God, right? And there's two sets of foot, footprints there. And, uh, you know, God is showing them their life and all this stuff. And, and there, was a, there was a portion of her life. Uh, she asked God, she said, um, I believe it was a female who wrote it. I'm not sure. But this person asked God and said, how come when I was in the darkest moments, the hardest moments in my life, there's only one, one set of footprints in the sand? And, she, and the, the person um, said that God responded to the question and said, those were the moments that I was carrying you. That is so beautiful. God carries us through so many difficult moments and, and we might not see him and we might not feel him, but he is still there. So after Nebuchadnezzar saw all this stuff, he, he, he pulled them out of the furnace and there was only three that came out of the furnace. He pulls them out of the furnace and he worships God. Because God, like they said, our God can save us. Our God can save, but even if he doesn't, I'm still gonna serve him. You know, I, I wanna read a, a scripture to you because the whole point of this message, I'll get, I'll get back to, to the stories there and how they relate, but the whole point of this, what I was feeling today was that there is an identity crisis in our world today. Would you agree? There is an identity crisis. The, the scripture that I wanted to read is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and this is talking about what the world is gonna look like in the last days. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, 
Isn't that what's going on today? Without natural affection. People just don't have it anymore. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Doesn't that sound like the world today? Get all you can and give nothing back. Do whatever you want. By the way, that phrase, do whatever you want, it appears in a very scary book. Actually, well, yes, but outside of the Bible. uh, The satanic Bible, the number one commandment is do what thou wilt. Do whatever you want. That is the first commandment in the satanic Bible. Do whatever you want because when you follow your flesh, you will never ever bring honor to God when you're living after your flesh. The enemy is trying to destroy the identity of Christ in the world. Do you know why? Because he can't beat God, so he's trying to beat the image of of God in mankind. That's why all of this garbage is happening in the world. That's why people don't love one another. That's why people are just do horrible things is because it's an attack of the enemy to destroy the identity of Christ in the world. Did you know that the world and the enemy are trying to do the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did to the Hebrews? The enemy knows he can't beat God, so he attacks mankind's identity by trying to change their name, by trying to change who they are. Do you understand who you really are? I think sometimes, you know, we, we know we're saved by God, we're God's children, but do you understand the kind of power, authority, and responsibility it comes with? Genesis chapter 1 and 27 says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. When God created us, he created us after his likeness. We're not God. We are not gods with a little g. We are not idols. We're mankind, but God has made us in his own image. When people look at us as the church, as believers, as Christians, they should be able to see God in what we do. They should be able to see the image of God portrayed through our life. Because you know what? Words will only take you so far. People don't care what you have to say until they know that you care, right? Actions speak much louder than words. That's why worship is not just something we say to God. Worship is a lifestyle that we have to live on a daily basis. Worship is giving ourselves to God just because he's God, not because he's Santa Claus and he gives us you know, our list of, of, uh, of what we want, but because he is God, we live for him. That's what the enemy is trying to take out of the world today. That's what the enemy is trying to take out of the church today. I think the reason why I feel this so strong is because the identity of the world, we see it more and more. People are buying into it. People are buying. You know what? When you don't know who you are, that's when confusion comes. Because God is not the author of confusion. But when you don't understand that you're a child of God, that you were bought with a price, that Jesus' blood is covering you every day, when you do not understand that, questions will come, doubt will come. You will question who you are every time. 
I'm sorry, I don't normally preach. <laughs> I don't normally preach. We're created after the likeness of God. I got to take a drink. <laughs> got to break up the tension in here. You know, the, um, let me just take a side note real quick. The, uh, that scripture in Revelation that I read at the beginning, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That word prophecy, when we hear it, a lot of times we think about um, like the Old Testament guys who told the future and, you know, did all that stuff. I looked up that word in the original Greek and I even looked it up in the Hebrew in the Old Testament and what, there are two components to that word prophecy. Um, I can't remember what they are in the Hebrew or Greek. I did it just right before service, but there's, it's a twofold meaning. It either means foretelling or foretelling. And there's a difference between the two. Foretelling is predicting the future. Foretelling is me saying, we're going to leave church and somebody's going to get in an accident and it happens. That's foretelling, right? Foretelling is revealing truth in the word of God. That's, that's the difference, right? So that's why I say that everybody has the capacity to be prophets. When you begin to deliver the truth of the word of God, you are prophesying into someone's life because you are forth telling them what God can do in their life and you're revealing truth, okay? There's a big difference between New Testament prophets and Old Testament prophets. I heard this in PI yesterday, so forgive me. I, you know, if you're gonna take something, take the good stuff. Uh, there's a difference between the two because Old Testament prophets, if they didn't get the word of God right that God had given them, they were to be stoned, right? If they didn't speak correctly, they were to be killed. The reason for that is because people did not have common access to God in the Old Testament. When a prophet spoke, that might have been the only word from God that somebody hears their entire life. When somebody sits and listens to the prophet Isaiah proclaimed the Messiah. And when somebody sits and listens to the prophet Samuel and, and all of these Old Testament prophets and Jeremiah and, and, and Nehemiah, that might be the only word that they hear from God their entire life. So that's why there was such an emphasis, such, a, such an importance on getting it right. New Testament prophets are a little different because everybody has common access to God. When a prophet says something, you can go home and pray and say, God, was that right? And God will answer you. So there's, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, okay? Maybe it's for somebody's benefit here, but I just want you to know that when somebody begins to prophesy, you have the same access to God that the preacher behind the pulpit does. You have the same access to God that, that Billy Cole had, that like the superintendents and the leaders of our church, you have the same access to God. That is such an important understanding when you're talking about your identity as a child of God because you can walk into the throne room of God and ask him questions and seek answers from him. Isn't that so awesome? You don't have to rely on somebody else to tell you what God wants to do in your life. You can pray and God will reveal it to you specifically. I got to go back and look at my notes because I don't know where I'm at now. <laughs> Oh, I remember where I'm at. Okay. There's uh, I, I don't like to be controversial, okay? Actually, I really don't care about being controversial. I just say that to try and put y'all at ease. There's, because, <laughs> you know, 
you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes a preacher will say something, you're like, ah, okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to preach about, about this, okay? I just want to give this to you. Um, by a show of hands, how many of you, who went to public school here? I did. Okay, most people, most people. Okay, how many of you, when you were in public school, learned about evolution? Oh, same hands went up. Okay, I'm not going to preach about evolution, okay? That is a Bible study for another time, and I would love to talk about that some other time. What I want to tell you, though, is when we were, when we were talking about the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, that word image uh, is the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe little g gods or um, any other host of heaven other than Yahweh, other than Jehovah. Um, the, that word, when you, when you really look at the meaning, it means anything that steps in front of or inhibits the worship of God. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a graven image, you know, of Baal or whatever that people worship. Anything can be a God if we allow it to. Anything that takes away from our worship of the one true God, that's an image. That's an idol. That's a God. Okay, I want to say that because I'm going to say this, and please don't cringe too much. Evolution. The reason why that is pushed so hard in our world today is because the same reason why Nebuchadnezzar changed the names of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What, what it does is it takes God out of the equation and elevates man to a level of an idol. Elevates man to the level of a God where now we become a humanistic society where we say, I'm the God of my own world. I'm the God of my own life. I make up my own mind. I do whatever I want because God is no longer in the picture. That's what evolution does to, to our minds. It puts us in front of God, and we become the idols of our own worship, and we begin to worship human beings before we worship God, the one who designed human beings, the one who designed every cell in your body, the one who was so intricate. If you look, if you look at a cell, it has its own processing system, much like the systems in our body, how they work together. A cell has that on such a small scale because you have the ribosomes, you have the mitochondria, you have the nucleus, you have, you know, all of these things, these systems that work together to make this cell work, which then makes all these other cells work, which then makes the, the circulatory system work, which then makes the circulatory and the digestive system work in tandem, which then makes a human being function. But evolution removes God out of the identity of man. That's all I'm going to say about evolution. Now you can stop squirming. So I'm not going back there. <laughs> I want to say this as well. Your past does not define you. How many of you are thankful for that? Hallelujah. My past does not define me. God brought me from some terrible stuff. And I am so thankful that, that I no longer have to identify with where I came from. But now I identify in Jesus Christ. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what else will. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. What time is it? Oh, I got to finish. I got to wrap up here. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, uh, or revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty extensive list, and I can see my name on a couple of those things too. And then, thank God for verse 11. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Thank God that I do not have to identify with that garbage that I used to do. When we're baptized in Jesus' name, I'm going to take a step into the baptism lesson that we did um, a couple weeks ago. When we're baptized in Jesus' name, we receive a new identity because the name of Jesus is then applied to our lives. Right? We're no longer, I'm no longer Reese Morgan. I'm Reese Morgan Jesus because Jesus is now put on my life. I don't say that to elevate myself to the level of God, but, but what happens is we take on the name of God, much like in marriage. My wife, she was Tasha Sweeney before we were married, and now she's Tasha Morgan. We take on that name, and that should change. So when we're baptized, we take on the name. When we're filled with the Holy Ghost, like what Sister Calhoun, I can't get that out of my brain when you brought that up in the, in the lesson. The, when you're baptized, the name is applied. You have a new identity. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the power to walk in that identity. That is awesome. But when we're, we get a new identity, you know what? In order to stay sane in this world of craziness, I have to know who I am by knowing whose I am. We have to know who we are by knowing whose we are. Because I'm no longer Reese Morgan, right? I've been bought with a price. Jesus died on Calvary to purchase me. So I can't live after my own flesh. I can't walk in what I want to do all the time, all of my fleshly desires. No, no, I belong to Jesus Christ. And what that means is that I got to read the Bible every day. I got to pray every day. I got to fast so that I can stay in line with the word of God. And I can walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. The world will try and label you with everything under the sun. How many of you have heard of some, some of these? Hypocrite. Bible thumper. I've heard this one. This one makes me laugh. Snake handler. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, you're Pentecostal. Do you handle snakes? I'm like, no. you kidding me? I'm not going to tempt God like that. The Bible says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And I think putting your hand next to a poisonous snake is like, okay, God, you going to heal me or what? Yeah, I don't like that. But we can't base our identity on what everybody says we are. Even if you're not in the church, right? We get labeled all the time. Loser. You'll never amount to nothing. Depressed. Jerk. You know, we get, we get all of these kind of labels in and out of the church. But we cannot allow our identity to be based on what everybody says that we are. Because I've been called some pretty crazy things, and, and uh, I lived a pretty crazy way, and you know I've done some crazy things or whatever, but I'm just so thankful that that's not my identity anymore. Let me tell you what God says you are. You are a child of God. You are a friend of God. You are sanctified. You are a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. You're a chosen generation. You're loved, redeemed. You're called. You're separate. You're co-heirs with Christ. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. 
For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, that's, that's uh, what we were talking about. When you're baptized, you get a new identity. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither uh, male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no room for, uh, for any kind of division or segregation in the church. Because there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. It doesn't matter what backgrounds you have. It doesn't matter what walk of life you came from. You are still a child of God. We're no longer what we used to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Romans 12 and 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of, of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to hold on to our God-given identity, just like Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah did. In the midst of a world that didn't believe in God, in the midst of a world who, uh, you know, the Babylonians were kind of crazy. They did, you know, they did some crazy. Nebuchadnezzar, you can read about him. He was pretty insane. But in the midst of all that noise, they were still able to hold on to who they were. They still believed that they were the people of God. Even when everybody's screaming at them, changing their names, calling them, you know, whatever, and saying, you're a Babylonian now, you're, you're not a Hebrew anymore, you, you belong to us, you know, whatever. In the midst of all that noise, they were still able to hold on. The enemy is actively trying to destroy the identity that God has given us. Because he can't beat God, so he just destroys the identity of God. Tries to take as many people with him when he loses as he can. Because he knows he's going to lose, so why not take some people with him? That's the mindset of the enemy to steal, kill, and to destroy. He's not anybody's friend. He hates every one of us. We cannot allow what anyone else says to define us. When we're in Christ, our past is dead, it's over. You know, sometimes we're pretty good grave robbers of our past. We go back there and dig it all up. Why don't we just leave it buried under the blood? Why don't we just leave it there? It's already in the sea of unforgetfulness. Sometimes we try and go fishing for it, and when we're feeling bad and we're like, oh, I did all these terrible things. God can't use me. God's already forgiven that. If you've repented and been baptized in Jesus' name, that's already been remitted. That's under the blood. Don't go digging that up. I've done that too many times, and I'm sick of it. I'm serious. I'm sick of it in my own life because it just makes me feel terrible and whatever. And, and that's not God's will for your life. God does not want you to live in a perpetual state of depression and a perpetual state of, of agony because of your past. God wants you to know that your past is forgiven, it's forgotten, and it's time to move on. Yeah. One of my favorite musicians is a guy named Molly Music. He does a lot with... Uh, gospel and stuff like that. You know, I just love gospel music. But one of the, uh, one of the lyrics in his song um, speaks to me every time I, I hear it. It's a song called I Believe by Molly Music. And he said, the chorus starts off with, I'm just one of them old people who's got to hold on. I'm just one of them old people God's got to hold on. God's got to hold on me. 
You know, I'm going to, actually, if we could all stand, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm coming in for a hard landing. The whole point of this is we have to hold on to who we are. I hope through this, like, some of you get, like, a, a better understanding of who you are because you're a child of God. You're a friend of God. You're sanctified. You're, you're holy. You're, you're called of God. God's got a plan in every single one of our lives. Every single one of you, God has a plan for you. Now, God did give us free will to decide whether or not we want to do it, but God has a plan for you. And I will tell you this, when you walk in the identity that God has placed on your life, you ain't got to worry about nothing. You know, there was uh, something that was said by Brother Steve Rogers. I don't know if y'all know him from Elam Tabernacle. He's pastor there. He said, uh, um, royalty, when royalty leaves the castle and walks around the city or walks, whatever, just walking around, we always look at them and we're like, ah, they're proud, you know, they're whatever. But he said, what the, what the real, what's really happening is they walk around, they don't have to prove who they are because they're born in royalty. Did you know when you are born as a child of God, you are royalty? Because God is the king of heaven and earth. God is the king of kings. So there's no need for us after we've been born again and after God's put a new identity on our life to run around and, and try and prove who we are and try and argue people under the table about theology and try and corner people with, with our doctrine. There's no point in that because we don't have to prove anything. We can walk around in assurance. I'm a child of God. I know I'm a child of God. I don't need anyone else to tell me I'm a child of God. I know I am. And I wish that all of us could have that assurance because when you know you're a child of God and you know that God is the king of heaven and earth, you're, and you have to know this, that your needs will never go unmet. God never promises. You know, a lot of times we misquote that scripture, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We misquote that like, if we just live for God, God will bless us all the time. Well, God doesn't promise that all the time, not in monetary ways all the time. Yes, God blesses us monetarily. Like that testimony for me and Tosh, we're not rich, but God has always made a way for every bill to be met. We've never gone behind on a bill. We've never missed a payment on anything. God has always made a way. But we, we misquote that scripture and we're like, if you just seek the kingdom of God, God will make you rich, God will make you powerful, whatever. But do you know what it says before that? He says, God clothes the grass. God gives shelter to the birds. It talks about basic needs of survival. God will never let you go hungry. God will never let you go without, uh, you know, without some place to lay your head at night. God will always provide clothes. He may not always bless financially, but he will always take care of you. Everything that you need, God will take care of. Not necessarily all of our wants. God doesn't promise he's gonna give us everything that we could ever want, but he does say, I'll take care of your needs. So we have to, just understand that we serve a God who is mighty, powerful. He, he does so much more than we could ever ask.
ask or think. He's, his, his ways are so much higher than our ways, but he still cares so much about us that he robed himself in flesh, died on a cross for our sins, rose again the third day, and gave us an opportunity to have communion and relationship with him. Do you, I, what I said at the beginning about the difference between Old Testament, New Testament prophets, in the Old Testament, people did not have direct access to God. They couldn't just walk in the Holy of Holies and be like, okay, God, I'm here. They would die. Only the priest could do that on their behalf. You know, I think sometimes we take for granted the access that we have to God. I mean, if we lived in a place where God didn't talk to us directly, we had to seek a prophet or we had to wait for a priest to make an atonement for our sins. And then all of a sudden, God shows up and he's like, okay, now you can talk to me. Do you know how grateful we would be? But just the fact that we live every day and we've always had the ability to pray and always had the ability to, for God to speak to us, I think sometimes we take that for granted. And we're just like, ah, I'll pray tomorrow. God will still be there. Nah, I'll read my Bible tomorrow. It'll still be there. But God is looking for people who know who they are and for people who are hungry to follow God, to follow Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord is looking for. True worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth with their life. Not just, okay, Lord, thank you. I'm in church. Hallelujah. I'm going home. Like that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for a people who are willing to stand in the gap for someone else. God is looking for a people who are willing to lay down their life for him. I know in the United States, we don't have to face that every day where, you know, we have the, the threat of being killed if we believe in God. We don't face that threat and I'm thankful for that. But God still wants people who are willing to put themselves on the back burner and say, God, whatever you want, that's what I'll do. Those are the kind of people God's looking for. And I just want you to know that you are special, that God loves you, that, the, that he's always looking out for your best interests. So just walk in who you were called to be. Just walk in your identity. If we could all bow our heads. Jesus, I, I just ask right now that you would give us a new understanding of who we are. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in ways that we've never seen before. God, I ask that you would drop such a hunger and a thirst after you in our hearts. God, give me a desire to pray and read my Bible every day. Give me a desire to seek your face every day. Give me a desire, Lord, to want to do what you want me to do. God, I pray that we would be aligned with your will in our life. God, I don't want to be out of line. I don't, I don't want to be far from you, Jesus. I want to be close to you. Your word says that if we draw nigh unto you, you'll draw nigh unto us. If we put it forth that effort to get closer to you, Lord, you will put forth effort to get closer to us. Jesus, just give us a revelation of our identity. Give us a new understanding of who we are, the power that comes with it. Lord, when we're, when we're baptized in your name, when we're filled with your spirit, you said that we have power over, over sickness, over disease, and it's not on our own accord, but Lord, it's through your power that works through us. I wonder if there's anybody here 
who's willing to get a little bit, who's willing and wants to get a little bit closer to Jesus today. If that's your desire, I invite you to this altar. Let's pray as a family. Let's come alongside one another and encourage because our identity is not found in this world. This world, Vesta Mangan used to say, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. We can't base our identity on the temporal things here on this earth, but it has to be on eternal. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt. Jesus, I pray that you would wash over us today. God, give us a renewal in your spirit. Do a work in our lives, God. Change us. Lord, I don't want to leave here the same that I came in. God, I want you to change the way I think. I want you to change the way I act. God, I, 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 I want to be more like you, Lord. I want your mind, the mind of Christ. God, I want to see people the way you see people. I want to walk in the identity that you've given me, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus, I worship you. I magnify you, Lord, because you're God. You've created me from the dust of the ground. And God, I, I give you glory. I worship you, Jesus. I bow myself down to you. Lord, I'm so thankful that I can sit at the master's feet. God, I'm so thankful that I can come into your throne room, Lord. I'm so thankful that I have direct access to you every day that you can sit by me and you can talk with me and you can hold me if I need it. You can encourage me if I need it, God. You are the only true and living God. You're the one that we serve. Jesus, we give you all glory and honor in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, we worship you, Lord. Please continue to pray and continue to seek the face of God because I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God's working on our hearts. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.